The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Money Matters. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Today's reading will be from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. First, hear the word of the Lord from Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now hear the word of the Lord from Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you in here might not know who I am, so I just want to take a little bit of time to, to briefly introduce myself. Uh, I'm Alex Arguello. I'm one of the pastors of Sacred City Church. My wife Emily and I have been with Sacred City Davenport for the past seven years. We have six children, three of which are right here uh, with us today. Uh, we live in Davenport, but I'm not a stranger to Moline. I'm a chiropractor, and I've practiced in Moline for the past eight years, so I'm frequently over here, uh, and I get to see a lot of you throughout the week. So it is an honor um, to be here, um, to preach the Word of God for you at Sacred City Moline. I will say that I'm more than just a little bit uncomfortable. On top of just the normal nervousness that comes with speaking in front of people, today I get to talk about everybody's favorite topic, giving away your money, right? And not generally doing that, I get to do it in a specific way. Today we get to talk about the tithe which is one of the most misunderstood topics in in all of Scripture and a a topic that a lot of Christians want to push back against. So that's what we get to talk about today. Listen to this. In 1995, Christianity Today article, James Williams of the Church of God World Service said this, Our people, 45 years and younger, have grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's tremendous pressure on families to spend, spend, and spend. Then he says, I've heard that the generation that believed in the tradition of tithing are in three places. Retirement homes, nursing homes, and cemeteries. Well, that was 25 years ago. So if he's right, that would mean everybody 70 years and younger have this powerful pull from our materialistic culture that tells them to spend, spend, and spend, or save, save, and save, or do whatever it else is with their money that they want. So this makes something like tithing very difficult to receive. Funny, when the topic of money gets real and practical, all of a sudden Pastor Sam has a wedding to go to somewhere in Omaha, right? He likes to do this stuff to me. Last time he asked me to preach here, he said, hey, we're going to split the chapter. What he did is he took the first three verses and then gave me the rest of the chapter. This time he preaches on all the easy stuff about money and then gives me the difficult part. If you're like me, there's been some difficult things to hear throughout this entire series. Difficult but exciting, right? It's exciting because I know if I can receive these truths about money and make changes in my life when it comes to my money, then much glory will be given to God and much good will be coming into my life, just like Paul mentioned up there. So what I want, my hope for today, is that we would get more of that, right? We'd be able to hear and receive this message and be encouraged Because what it's pointing to is a whole lot of joy. That's what we want today. Now, I might say some things that get under the skin of some of the people here. 
If that's the case, if you know me, you probably know that that's not because I love to do things like that. I'm not a big fan of conflict. The last thing I want is somebody emailing me, telling me that they disagreed with everything that I said and were offended by what I said, but I know that that may happen today. So I wanted to actually give you my email if that's the case. It's sam at sacredcitychurch.com. Here's how this is going to work. My hope is to show us three things about the tithe. Within those three things, we're going to handle some questions and objections. Number one, what is it? Number two, what's its purpose? And number three, what's in it for us? So let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Father, we thank you already for um, what you've already done here this morning, for calling us into worship and allowing us to do that this morning together as a family of believers. Lord, we thank you for everything that you've already done with this series. We thank you for work that you've done in people's hearts, Lord. We got to listen to some of that from Paul. Father, we ask that you would do more of that through today as we talk about a specific topic, Lord. Let it point us to a specific person. Let it let us point us to Christ, Lord. May we be able to say what we sang in that third song, Lord, that we are a child of God. May we be able to say, yes, I am. Even when we hear something that's difficult to hear, may we remember that that is where we're at. We are your children, Lord, and you're a good father. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, tithing. So if you have been part of the church world for any amount of time, you've probably heard and maybe know a lot about this concept and, and topic. But if you're new, maybe this is completely brand new to you. So what exactly is it? The meaning of the word tithe is a tenth part. So in our language, that would be 10%. The tithe is clearly laid out in the book of Leviticus. 27th chapter, verse 30 says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. So a few things that we can take from that. First, tithing is from the Bible. Right, The book of Leviticus is one of the first books, five books of the Bible, which even has its own name, the Pentateuch. It's from Scripture. It's not some rule or tradition that the church came up with or some greedy pastors came up with. It's from Scripture. Secondly, this verse shows us that it comes from whatever we produce, whether that be seed or fruit, it said, these things being the form of currency for the Israelites, which in our times would be cash money. So whatever your income or increase, everything that you have obtained, whether it was earned or it was given to you, that's where the tithe comes from. Thirdly, who does it say the tithe belongs to? God, which means that it wasn't theirs. They didn't get to decide what they actually did with this portion of their income. God did. So let's summarize that. Tithing is a biblical concept of giving 10% of one's income or increase back to the Lord. Now notice we said back to the Lord. As we have learned throughout this series, all of our money, everything that we have within our possession is actually God's. And by his grace, he has given it to us to be stewards over. A tithe is a specific amount that God has chosen. That's important. It's important because sometimes you will hear people using tithing synonymously with giving. But that would be an incorrect use of the term. 
A tithe is not the same as giving. We can't use the phrase, I'm tithing $200 per month, if your income is not $2,000 per month. If your income is more than $2,000 per month and you give $200 per month, then you're not tithing. If your income is less than $2,000 per month and you give $200 per month, then that could be considered a tithe, but you would also be giving over and above that tithe, which we'll get into what that would be called. Now, to some of us, that might not seem very important to explain. It might, not, it might seem like semantics to you, calling something giving versus tithing, but I would argue that it's very important to explain, and you'll hopefully see that by the end of our time. But let's start with this. God's people in the Old Testament times were much more familiar with the tithe than we are now. And that's because the practice was commanded by God when he gave them the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. We just read that in Leviticus. Giving 10% of all your income back to God was a command. Just giving wasn't a command. Giving 50% wasn't a command. 10% was the command. So the tithe was very well known to God's people. And even before the tithe was instituted by God as a law, it was familiar to people of these times. Genesis chapter 14, we see Abraham tithing to the high priest Melchizedek. In Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob promising a tithe to God. This practice was normal before the law. And I think we will see how this practice should be normal after the law. Another thing we see about the tithe is in Scripture, it's typically attached to this phrase, first fruits. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. This meant that God's people were supposed to take inventory of everything that he had blessed them with, and before doing anything else with it, they were supposed to tithe from it, give 10% of it. They weren't supposed to sell it for profit first, eat some of it first, save some of it first. They were supposed to tithe from it first. So that's what it is. Now let's handle some common questions or objections here. Here's one. Okay, I understand the tithe, 10% of my income. But that's my net income, right? Common question. Many people want to look at how a business would determine their gross and net income and try to follow that example for their personal income to get to their tithe amount. A business has expenses that need to be paid in order to keep the business up and running. What's left over would be their net income. That net income for a business owner may be his or her personal gross income or part of it if they take a salary, But what they would tithe from is their personal gross income. We can't say, pay our mortgage, utilities, our grocery bill, and then tithe off of whatever is left over. How do we know that? Remember the first fruits. The tithe is the first 10% of our income, not the last. Scripture also talks about a tithe of everything. That means, again, everything we bring in. Another common pushback on the tithe would be, yes, tithe is 10% of gross income given back to God. It's clearly in the Bible that it's 10% of our gross income. But to say that one needs to tithe is very legalistic. I thought we were gospel-centered around here. 
Well, first off, if this is what you are thinking, saying that one should tithe still is not necessarily legalistic in and of itself. If we were saying that a Christian needed to tithe to be fit for heaven, to be saved, then that would be considered legalistic. But hey, I understand this concern. I hate legalism too. I think it should be kept out of the church at all costs. So if you think 10% is legalistic and that's keeping you from tithing, that's easy to address. Just give 10.5% or 11%. That brings us to our second point. What's the purpose of the tithe? Another way of saying this would be, what does God want to do in us through the tithe? Deuteronomy 14 is helpful here. Verse 22 says, You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Learn to fear the Lord always. This means as God's people, we as Christians, don't automatically always fear the Lord. You probably knew that already. It's something that we are progressively moving towards as our minds continue to be renewed. We go back to his word for how we are supposed to be living and back to his gospel for the power to live the way that we are supposed to. Tithing, as we see here, was supposed to train God's people to fear him, to put him first in their lives. What does Jesus say in Matthew 6? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he saying? If you don't want to treasure, if you don't want your heart to be with the God of wealth or security or pleasure or any of the other things that money may bring us, then don't treasure those things. How do we know if we are not doing that, instead are treasuring God and moving our hearts towards him? One of the ways is obedience, and specifically obedience with our money. God knows the more disciplined his people can be with tithing, the more their hearts will follow, which will lead to more fear of him, more worship of him, and then putting them for him first in their lives, which is what he wants. He doesn't necessarily want our money. He wants our hearts to be after him. Another thing the tithe did for his people was invited them to test his promise to provide for them. One of the things that I love about Sacred City is we are passionate about good theology. We don't just want our elders or deacons to have good theology. We want everyone that's part of the church to be growing in this area. Well, as important as theology is, knowing specific things about God, such as providence, what we also want and what our prayer is for everyone in our church would be that they would experience who God is. In this case, experience his providence. What does that mean? Well, Paul gave us a good example, but I'll give us another one. I enjoy always hearing stories like this where people are in financially stressful situations, not knowing how they're going to pay their bills or pay for groceries or not have any money for Christmas gifts, whatever it may be, but then somehow, out of nowhere, it seems that the money comes in to help them. One that comes to mind is a family in our church that was in a very difficult financial situation. A lot of debt, other expenses that needed to be paid, and not an enough income coming in to cover those expenses, let alone pay off the debt. So a discussion had to happen between the husband and the wife, and the husband and some wise counsel, on whether or not they were going to stop tithing. 
This couple had faithfully tithed since becoming members of Sacred City, but now, with the income dropping, it was becoming more and more difficult to do. One of the options, of course, would have been to stop giving altogether so that they could have more money going to their expenses, paying down some of their debt. Another option would have been to continue giving but stop tithing. These two options seem to have some wisdom in them, but after their discussion and after taking it to the Father in prayer, they decided to continue tithing and trusting in God's providence. Without getting into details, that same year, this couple's income almost doubled, which obviously allowed them to meet their expenses and even pay down some debt. That's God's providence. That's an evidence of grace, that, like we like to say around here. Do you think that family's love for God grew? Absolutely. God actually invites his people into testing him like that. How do we know that? Well, let's look at one of the scriptures that we read. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. We'll come back to the robbing. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And here it is. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Wow. God doesn't say you are robbing me, so bring the full tithe in or else. He does say they're cursed for their lack of bringing the tithe, but it seems that the main point that he wants to get across to his people is if they are faithful in their obedience, there is a never-ending flood of his blessings that he can bring their way. And he's so gracious, so merciful, so abounding in steadfast love that he even says, I know you guys don't believe me. Even though at this point, the Israelites had plenty of reasons to believe in his sovereignty and power and that he was going to stay true to his promises. So he said, so if you don't believe me, test me. You think this little puny God of money can provide for you? Test me, and I'll show you who is the only one that can truly provide. So the tithe is meant to train us to fear God and to put him first. It's meant to be an invitation from God to test his promises and to provide. And lastly, it's meant to be a duty that can become a delight, which leads to joyful, voluntary giving. Voluntary giving is what many Christians want to be able to do. We hear all the time from people, I want to really give. I really want to be generous. There's usually a but after that. But if that's the case, it seems that tithing is the way to get there. How so? It's like this. We have a trampoline in our backyard. Don't judge me. Sometimes because I'm always the one harping about people or making good choices about their health, specifically their spinal health, people like to look in at my life and see if there's any incongruencies with what I'm saying, right? So people might be like, oh, you want us to take care of our spine, but you have a trampoline in your backyard. Let your kids jump on it. How's that for their spine? The whole health thing, you gotta, there's got to be some give and take, doesn't there? Back to my story. My oldest son, Tatum here, 
He's pretty athletic. He's not as athletic as the other two, but he's pretty athletic. So with his athleticism, he can get great height on the trampoline. And he can do front flips, which are pretty easy for him to do. He's done them a lot. And he enjoys that. He enjoys jumping on the trampoline. He enjoys doing the front flips on the trampoline. But what happened is one day somebody came over and they started doing backflips on the trampoline. So for Tatum now, he's seen the backflip and he was like, There's a, there has to be a lot of pleasure in being able to do a backflip. Maybe even some joy that could be found in doing a backflip. So if he wanted to experience the joy of doing this backflip, he had some fear to actually get through. Because he knew that the backflip wasn't going to be as easy as just jumping or doing the front flip. So I could tell how much he wanted to do this, so I wanted to help him enjoy this experience. So I worked with him. There was assistance when he tried it. I didn't just tell him to go on the trampoline and try it. I was right there with him, helping him, making sure he was safe. But the main thing that I did is I reminded him what he was already able to do on the trampoline, what he was already able to accomplish. I would say, Tatum, you've jumped on this thing a hundred times and been safe. You've done front flips on this thing a hundred times and you've been safe. A backflip is only a step further from what you're already used to doing. For Tatum, the jumping and the front flips were somewhat training for what he wanted to actually do. This did something in his mind where he was actually able to try it. So he failed a few times when he tried it, but he was then actually able to stick the landing And now, every time he's on a trampoline, he freely does backflips. And he loves it. And he's even trying to start to do some crazier stuff on there, which whole other story. But what's my point in all of that? If Tatum would have been told to try to do a backflip before he had ever jumped on a trampoline before, how likely do you think he would have been able to do it? Not likely at all. The fear would have been too strong for him to even try it because he hadn't tried anything on a trampoline before that, which would have kept him from experiencing joy in his life. Well, tithing is much like the jumping in the front flips on the trampoline for Tatum. One of the things we see in the New Testament is there isn't much mentioning of the tithe. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, never mentions the word. He writes to his churches much about giving, but no specific teaching on tithing. So many want to use that as proof of why the tithe is no longer necessary for Christians. That's understandable. But what's more likely is Paul never mentions tithing because it was assumed that these people were already tithers. Remember, the Jewish people were commanded to tithe. It was their duty. It was normal for them. What Paul had to write about to the New Testament churches was not about tithing. That would be like me coaching Tatum to do a backflip by coaching him through the front flips and the jumping. What Paul had to do is teach about something giving over and above what their duty already was. But what he knew is that he could actually call them to give above the tithe because they had already been trained to trust God for so long by doing their duty of giving the tithe. They had seen how God had provided for them, even in the 90% of what they had to live on, And that experience of God's loving providence would do something in their hearts, which would transfer to their hands, which would result in them giving over and above 10% of their income. In the Old Testament, that type of giving was called almsgiving or free will offerings. When you add these into the giving of the Old Testament people, the percentage of their income which they gave was around 
23%. That was the voluntary giving that people want to say the, Old Test- the New Testament teaches. I would agree. The New Testament does teach voluntary giving. But that voluntary giving is not less than the tithe. It's much more. Just think if Paul would have asked churches who weren't used to giving and weren't used to trusting in God's providence to cheerfully give as much as he asked them to give. How much was that? Well, in the context of 2 Corinthians, he was asking them to not only give to support their own ministry, but he was also asking them to give enough to help the church in Jerusalem who were suffering through a famine. I don't think it would have been very helpful for either of those churches if the Corinthian believers would have said, I can cheerfully give around 0.01% of my income. Beyond that, I lose my cheer. No. They needed to give heavily, sacrificially, but not out of compulsion, as Paul tells them, out of joy. Joy that only comes from experiencing God's love and grace to them, which that experience came through their obedience in the tithe. Just as my son Tatum would have had much difficulty going from fear to joy in his journey of learning to do a backflip without the training of jumping and front flips first, God seems to have given us the tithe as the training wheels of giving in hopes that tithing, being obedient there, would eventually lead to a heart that voluntarily gives beyond 10% and that giving is done with a cheerful heart. That brings us to another objection. Many people push back against the tithe because they say it's an Old Testament concept and now we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So God doesn't command the tithe anymore. He wants, what he wants now is grace giving or AKA giving however much we want to give, which typically for many Americans isn't very much. We will hit on that a little more in our next point, but the people that have this objection are right. God does want grace giving. We talked about that. He wants us to be changed by grace so much that we would cheerfully give of our money. They would also be right about the tithe being an Old Testament concept. But Jesus, nor anyone else in the Old Testament, removed this command. In fact, Jesus actually affirms this command in Matthew 23, verse 23, where he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Do we see that? Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about tithing anymore. Just worry about doing justice, mercy and faithfulness. No, he says yes and amen to justice, mercy, and faithfulness, but he also says, do not neglect the tithe. So hopefully, we're starting to see that tithing is still for Christians and understand why God has given us this practice. Now let's turn to our third and final point. What's in it for us? Seems kind of selfish to ask, doesn't it? But let's be real, I'm sure all of us have that question. And it doesn't seem too far off from what we've already been learning. Matthew 6 didn't tell us to not store treasures anywhere. It told us to not store them here. 
a much better place to store them would be heaven. What was that saying? It was saying that when we make kingdom investments, when we do good things for Christ in his kingdom, that brings us some type of treasure that we will enjoy in the next age. Couldn't that be looked at as selfish? Storing treasures up for ourselves? I think we would say that it's not selfish because we are motivated to do those good things, not to earn treasures, but to glorify God. But what we have to remember is our good, our joy, cannot be separated from glorifying God. Glorifying God is what brings us the most joy in this life and the next. The treasures are just icing on the best cake we've ever had. It's no different with the tithe. The other passage that was read was Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Let's read it again. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What Jesus was teaching here to his followers was speaking directly to the question of what's in it for us. He says one will receive in direct proportion to what is given. How amazing. Remember, we've already learned in this series that God owns everything. Every single thing of value, whether that be money or any other currency, is his. He allows us to, do, to have some of that money to be stewards over. He even gives us some freedom to make however much money we would like to make. Then he only asks for 10% to be given back to him and his mission. Couldn't he have asked for much more? But then on top of that, he says, even in that 10% that I'm asking for, if you can be obedient to that and let it go, I will bless you. But then even beyond that, he doesn't put a cap on that blessing. He says, however much you want to be blessed is determined by however much you want to bless others with your giving. Back to our question about tithing from our gross income versus our net income. Randy Alcorn has some great insight. He says, what do you want to be blessed on? The gross or the net? It's a great question to have. Now, I know this passage and ones like it could be used in ways that are at best unhelpful and at worst destructive to individual souls and churches and pervert the gospel message, but understood correctly, this is a principle that is not only biblical, but can be very good news for us. What keeps people from tithing? It's not that they don't like giving. It's not that they don't like following commands. The reason is they have a fear that they won't be taken care of. They believe that if they lose that 10%, they won't have enough. That or they can't handle sacrificing their wants and desires for another person's needs. They're too concerned about their own needs. Or maybe they have a fear that if they give 10% of their money to the church, that it's going to be used in much less important ways than it would be if they could spend their own money. Therefore, they give a much smaller amount so that less is wasted. Well, all of these seem to be coming from a lack of trust and a misunderstanding of this last point. What the Bible seems to be teaching about the tithe and giving beyond the tithe is if we are making the choice to do it, 
then we're also making the choice to receive blessings from God. So Alcorn's question is a good one. How much blessing from God do you want to experience in your life? A tiny bit? Do you want to stick your toes in the ocean of God's blessing or do you want to dive headfirst fully into that ocean? Statistics show that most Americans don't even really want to get their feet wet. In a Barner research study about 20 years ago, said the church giving was on a decline. Statistics now haven't gotten any better, specifically with those who would claim to be born-again Christians. When compared to the year prior to the study, there was a 44% increase in the amount of people who gave nothing to the church. Same study showed within this group, only 30% reported that they tithed. When the study was actually done, it was shown that only 12%, not 30, actually tithed. Instead of tithing, what research shows is the average professing Christian gives less than 3% of their income to the local church and to kingdom causes. 3%. God is inviting his people to let, to test him, and the majority of us are not accepting that invitation. What's in tithing and giving beyond tithing for us? It's God's blessing. But what it seems is that most of us want the blessings of this world and that what that can bring instead of what God can bring. Can I call us away from that this morning? Can we look at God's word and let it affect us so that we can act in obedience with our money that he's given to us? Can we trust that the blessings of our creator and sustainer and redeemer are far greater than the blessings of this world? I pray we can. Don't say we can't do it because we can't afford it. God said to test him. He said that he would give seed to the sower. That really means that we can't afford to not tithe. Don't say we can't do it because we are in too much debt. Your biggest debt is to God. I would pay him first and trust that he will bring means to pay off the rest. Don't say, okay, we will tithe, but we want to decide where our money goes instead of the church. One of the main reasons God made the tithe a law was to make sure that the ministry of the tabernacle and the temple could be done. The tribe of Levi weren't given any land or other provision by God like the other 11 tribes were given. So God asked the other tribes to tithe, to provide for the Levites so that they could focus on doing their ministerial work. By tithing to our local church, we are honoring the same principle, this God-given principle. As more evidence that the New Testament doesn't eliminate the tithe and that the early church honored this same principle, Paul references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13. He says, Do you not know that those who perform sacred services in the temple eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar, speaking of sacrifices, have their share with the altar? So that's him reminding us of what the tithe is for. Then he says this in 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. At the very least, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that those who spend their lives in the service of the word of God 
should be supported by the rest of the Christians. Pastor Sam, the staff, this building are all a huge piece of the mission of Sacred City Moline that you are members of, that you're a part of. Your tithes go to further the mission of God. Tithing is part of being a missionary. It's a part of making disciples and planting churches and renewing our cities. Part of that money goes to providing for Pastor Sam and his family so he can do his job well of leading, serving, teaching, pastoring the people of this church. It's kind of funny. Many people, instead of giving to the church, feel much better about giving their money to hungry kids in the world. Well, if that's the case, then giving to the church, we have a win-win. There are hungry kids here. Their names are Kuiper, Riken, and Zane. It's kind of a joke, but not really. That's where our money goes. Listen, my job as your pastor is to teach you the truth. That is what God expects of us as we follow him. Yes, we are under grace, but grace never lowers the standard. I'm going to say that again. Grace never lowers the standard. It empowers us to obey the standard. If you think tithing and giving over and above the tithe is outrageous, then maybe you haven't really understood the gospel yet. All of our money is God's. If we aren't tithing everything, 10% of everything that we have been given, as the Malachi said, we are robbing God. That's what scripture teaches. Pastor Timothy Keller makes comments on this topic. A failure to use the owner's, the owner being God, the failure to use the owner's money as he wishes for his investments is not being miserly or frugal. It's being a thief. If there was a divine securities and exchange commission in the sky, you'd be in trouble. And maybe there is. And maybe we are in trouble. Here's the close. We laid out from Scripture what the tithe is, what God wants to do with it, and what's in it for us. Basically gave you a theology of tithing. Hopefully we answered a lot of questions with issues of this topic, but more than likely, if we aren't being faithful to giving 10% of our income, it's not a theological problem. And it's for sure not an income problem. What it is is a heart problem. Which means that our greatest need isn't a Bible study on tithing or it isn't a calculator or a spreadsheet to help us figure out what our tithes should be. Our greatest need is to spend more time looking at the cross of Christ. Thinking about the cross until it affects us so deeply that there's no other response we can have than sacrificially tithing, sacrificially giving. Right? Think about this. What if Christ would have not followed the Father's will and not given up what he was asked to give? What if he didn't, for our sake, become poor so that we may become rich? Can we meditate on that? Be changed by it? Can we look at Christ and his work and allow those things to change us into givers that he's calling us to be? We have a great opportunity 
to do that this morning. As we come to the table, we not only just get to think about Christ and his work, but we actually get to see and taste the bread that represents his broken body. We get to see and taste the wine that represents his blood being shed. Let's pray that he would use that this morning to change us into the giver, givers he wants us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for this morning, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to come together and hear from your word, Lord. We thank you for coming together and being able to worship you. Father, that's what we want as we leave here. Lord, as we hear truths from your word and hear difficult things maybe for us to receive, we just ask that you would take these truths, Lord, that you would take these difficult things and bring them into us, Lord. Allow it to change us. Allow us to act differently. And our goal, yes, is if we are not doing what we're supposed to do, it's to start doing what we're supposed to do. But most importantly, our goal is to worship you. So Father, take what I said today that was from you and apply it to hearts. Take what I said that was not from you, Lord, and eliminate it from our heads and our hearts, Lord. We want to live for you, Lord. So we ask that you would do the work that we can't so that we can do that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.